Ecclesiastes chapter 11, beginning to read at verse 7. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few and those who look through the windows are dimmed and the doors on the street are shut. When the sound of the grinding is low and one rises up at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high and the terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along and desire fails because man is going to his eternal home and the mourners go about the streets before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain or the wheel broken at the cistern and the dust returns to the earth as it was and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity. So reads God's uh, word uh, to us this morning. Let's uh, just pray, shall we? Keep your Bibles open uh, at that passage. That'll be helpful. Heavenly Father, we pray this morning that you'd give us eyes uh, to see ears to hear, hearts uh, to delight in you, our God. Lord, we thank you for your word, that your word is truth. Lord, we pray that as we come to you now in the name of your Son, as we hear uh, your word to us, may your spirit be at work in and amongst us to bring praise and glory to your name and so that we might know how to walk wisely. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Old age is the harvest of all of the years that have gone before. Old age is the barn into which all of the sheaths are gathered. The sea into which all of the rivers of life flow from the springs of the valleys of youth. We are... Each of us, in our earlier years, building a house in which we will have to live when we grow old. And we make it either a prison or a palace. They're words of uh, an 18th century 
uh, Presbyterian uh, minister in America, uh, reflecting, I think, something of uh, the message that the, the preacher, this man who wrote Ecclesiastes, um, uh, wants to convey to us this morning. This morning, we need to talk about old age. Growing old for most of us brings a massive disconnect, doesn't it, between what we see each morning in the mirror and what's going on in our mind. When you are young, uh, counting your years in just single digits, it is hard, isn't it, I think, to, uh, to try and feel uh, what it must be like to be 50 or, or 70 or, or even 90. It just must feel very, very old. But when you're 50, when you're 70, I'm guessing when you're 90, in your soul, you don't feel any older. And yet your body, oh, that tells a different story, doesn't it? Depression and, and denial as our limbs start to struggle to do the things that we, we once did with ease. We really, in, in shock at the, the way life has just sped on by. Already this morning, somebody uh, said to me just how, how quickly time seems to be going through, through our 20s, 30s, 60s, hurtling towards what seems like an inevitable conclusion. It is true, isn't it? No sooner does life seem to start going than youth starts to just evaporate. Uh, an old age with its difficulties and its sorrows begins to seep in. Uh, as a society in the West, uh, we've come to despise old age. We try to delay the, the, the reality of ageing. Uh, men and women have their cosmetics to keep our skin looking as if uh, we are still on our 21st uh, year of life. Uh, dies for those of us who have hair uh, to look forever young and we glorify youth just think of all of the adverts all of the posters uh, they are filled aren't they with athletic bodies in their prime who wouldn't want to be like this uh, and at the same time we shield ourselves from death We've said previously how as a society we, we push death behind surgical curtains and into old people's homes, away from everyday life, to allow us to live as though we were immortal, to not think about death. But at times we do allow ourselves to, 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 to have a glimpse at the painful trauma of what it is to be alive and yet deteriorating. Books, films that portray the heart-rending reality of lives, of relationships uh, that are decimated through illness and decline, dementia, early onset Alzheimer's. Still near a home, some of us know, don't we, from our own harrowing experiences of caring for, for parents through their years of decline, how old age hollows out the person that we once knew. Little wonder that many people uh, want to make believe that death is just the, the great full stop to all existence. People who scramble to stay for, uh, as young for as long as they possibly can uh, and then want to take control of their own, uh, not just life, but death to avoid the painful trauma of the inevitable decline. But we've seen and we know the control in this life of vapour is just an illusion. 
At the same time, we, we laugh, don't we, at those of mature years who already have one foot in the grave. Characters like uh, that uh, comedy icon, Victor Meldrew, with his humorless grumpiness, uh, they resonate with us. We all know people like that. Whatever youth may have been, now all that remains in old age is joyless despair of life and of others, an annoyance with the way that the world is. One foot in the grave, life seeping away, shrouded in death. It's true that, that, that old age shapes many into the wrong type, the wrong kind of person. In our younger years, we are all of us building a house in which we will live when we grow old, not just physically, but in our desires, in our emotions, what we hold dear. Ecclesiastes, this book, has been teaching us to live life now shaped by death. The preacher, as he calls himself, who wrote this book, is bracingly realistic about the agonies of ageing and dying. No more so than uh, in this chapter. But the preacher's realism doesn't lead to despair or, or cynicism in life. No, realism about becoming old leads this preacher to instruct young people. The coming failure of our body, it should inform life now. Look at uh, chapter 11 and verse 9, if you've got your Bible open. Uh, look at his message. Uh, Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. Now, we need to be uh, clear this morning uh, that when the preacher talks about the young man and youth, it's It's relative. None of us here this morning, I'm looking around, none of us need to feel left out. Children, the preacher is talking to you this morning, uh, but uh, youth, uh, in the way the preacher uses it here, he's referring to all of those who haven't yet reached that uh, stage of daily feeling uh, the decline of body and mind. I'm looking around, I think he's talking to all of us. The eventual return to dust of you and me and everyone else that is the reason that echoes throughout this whole book of Ecclesiastes why we should grab hold of life now with both hands while the opportunity exists. Two points I want us to see from this passage this morning. First, the urgent realism of rejoicing because judgment is coming. The urgent realism of rejoicing because judgment is coming. If you were to flick back to the beginning of this book of Ecclesiastes, it, it, it opens with a, a poem, a poem about the, the cyclical pattern of nature and the world. The world just goes round and round and round. Generations come and generations go, and the earth remains the same. Now the book, as the book comes to a close, uh, we've got uh, another poem here. Uh, that cyclical pattern of one generation following another. Uh, what does it look like uh, as we zoom in to, to a single generation as the young become old and life draws to its inevitable end as we return to dust? And the preacher wants us to know, verse 7, Oh, how sweet, 
how sweet is life? Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. Even on a day like today, feel the pleasure of the heat of the sun. Bask in its, in its warmth. Enjoy the brilliance of the sun's light. Take a deep breath this morning and treasure that breath. The bliss of being alive. Consider our good God who made this amazingly good world. For all of the frustration, for all of the brokenness that's been brought in by sin that makes us feel as if we're never going to get anywhere. Oh, it's the height of foolishness to be blind to the goodness, the shimmering glory of being alive in this world. Of being rather than of not being. You cannot compare the two. The wonder of being, of just being able to take another breath, compared to not being. But here's the thing that the preacher wants us to, uh, to, to, to see. He's, he's so realistic, isn't he? Youth, says the preacher, it's wasted on the young. The young just don't know how good they've got it because youth is all they've ever known and they assume that that'll go on forever. The children this morning, just, just try. I've tried, been trying to do this all week. Try and imagine what it will feel like to be old. Can you do it? I think it's really hard, maybe impossible. One poet, poet has said this, old age, death, they are like words without meaning to the young, like a dream. Life when you're young, it seems, doesn't it, to be a, a journey with no end in sight, one big unexplored opportunity. Being young, someone else has said, feels like being unable to die. It's why death in youth is such an outrage. But the preacher, he, he doesn't chide the, the young for being young. No, his message is not, oh, you're young, oh, but don't worry, you'll get your comeuppance, you will be old one day. He's not trying to say that. Rather, he tells the young, you are young, you've got life, you've got health, you've got opportunity, so live now, make the most of uh, your youth with every fibre of your being. Live life. To all who have the capacity, the ability, the freedom, God says to us, rejoice, be happy, find joy in the days when you're physically, when you're emotionally, mentally, relationally able and active. Verse 9 again, rejoice, O man, in your youth and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes. The preacher's saying, children... Don't dare ever say on your school holidays, Mum, I'm bored. Hang on, preach, uh, hang on, adults, because the preacher is saying to us, put down your phone, switch off the TV, stop comatizing yourself. One day your capacity, your ability, even your desire to live is going to cease. But here is the, uh, the key thing that the preacher wants us to grasp. 
these words to enjoy life. They're a command. They're not just a suggestion. God commands us to enjoy life. He orders happiness and delight from his creatures. Back in chapter 9, we, we heard the preacher's instruction, verse 7. Go, eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. This isn't, oh, you can be joyful because everything is going well in your life, because you've got no problems, because you're successful. This isn't, oh, uh, be joyful because there are lots of people who are far worse off than you are. No, no, there'll be heartbreaks, there'll be sorrow. Uh, there'll be painful tears uh, that we need to cry out before the Lord. But God commands joy as the right response to receiving this outrageously generous gift of life. Whatever our lot, whatever our circumstances, this gift of life is awesome. You see, even as we uh, feel something of the brokenness of living in this fallen world, enjoyment of the life that God has given is commanded. And to break God's command is to trample on his law. It's to invite his judgment. That's what verse 9 says, I think. Look again at verse 9. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. It is possible, I think, that the preacher may be saying there, Oh, you remember to enjoy the good life that God has given you. He's given it as a free gift to you. But also remember that the God will judge you in the end. Possible, I think, to, to understand the preacher here as saying, You party. Oh, but don't party too hard. Enjoy life, but... Remember, you'll be held to account for it. Feast, but beware gluttony. Drink, uh, avoid drunkenness. Possible, I think, to, to understand the end of verse 9 like that. More likely, I think, the preacher is saying, life is a gift from God to enjoy, and you will be held accountable for whether you have enjoyed and delighted in the good life God has given you. As those God's made in his image were made to enjoy life, enjoy it to the full as our divinely appointed portion. God will hold us to account for our failure to enjoy the gift of life he's given. The preacher's saying enjoyment of life, it's not just permitted for you, it's commanded. Pleasure is not only uh, an opportunity, it is an imperative that we ignore uh, to our detriment, to our peril. How is it? How could God make it our duty to be joyful? Well, because in enjoying God's good world, we recognise something of the goodness of the God who gives that life. Not to enjoy the, the life and the world that God's given is an affront to God. Just think of parents. Parents give their child a, a gift and the child pushes away the toy and just picks up a stick and plays with that instead. No matter how much the, the, the parents might try to laugh it off. Oh, isn't that funny? Oh no, that's an affront to their love for the child as he ignores and rejects and despises the gift. 
No parent wants the toy just to sit untouched, unplayed with in the box. Far better for the toy to be loved and bashed and chipped away at as it's enthusiastically, lovingly played with day by day. And so too with our good God. We're not only to receive his gifts, uh, to live the life that he's given, we're to delight in it. That is our duty. Uh, further back in the Old Testament, in the book of Deuteronomy, God outlines uh, the uh, penalties, uh, the, the, the punishments he will send upon his people, Israel, if they turn away from him, if they stray in their waywardness. Uh, and listen in Deuteronomy chapter 28 and verse 47 listen to what is singled out as as worthy of this punishment from God this judgment Deuteronomy 28:47 God says because you did not serve the Lord your God with joyfulness and gladness of heart because of the abundance of all things therefore you shall serve your enemies whom the Lord will send against you because you did not serve the Lord your God with joyfulness of heart, with joyfulness rather and gladness of heart, because of the abundance of all things. If those Old Testament saints, if they were to be full of a sense of wonder for the abundance that God had given them, how much more now that the Lord Jesus Christ ha has come so that we might have life and have it abundantly, uh, so that his joy may be in us and so that our joy might be uh, full, how much more should we not be full of joyfulness and gladness of heart? We've been looking at the book of Acts earlier on in the year, haven't we? We've seen again and again how joy was the distinguishing mark of the early church. Suffering and famine and persecution and rejection and hardship all came their way and yet unmistakably characterised by joy. Friends, I wonder this morning whether our gospel witness, whether it fails to get traction at times with our friends, our colleagues. Because we're... Yes, willing to share the gospel. We're willing to share our lives with them. And yet there seems to be a little sense of, of delighted contentment about us as Christians. I, I wonder, parents, this morning, how much our plans to raise our children in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord, how much of it is focused on uh, correct teaching and the truth, shaping their minds and behaviour. And I wonder how much we're we're mindful of just simply seeking to convey the sheer abundance of all good things that God gives. Of course we need to hold to truth. Of course we need to live God-honouring lives. We need to witness for Christ. But God commands us to be full of joy, living in sheer delight at his good gifts. He's given uh, food, he's given uh, air, family, drink, friends, rest. He's given life in communion with himself to take pleasure in God's goodness. When we take pleasure in the work of God's hands, when we delight in his ways, we are more accurately acting as those image bearers of God than if we just obey God because it's our duty. Because the more joyful we are, the more like God we are. Not to live gladly, not to enjoy life drinking deeply from the overflowing wells of goodness God pours out on us. That's not just unwise. 
That is, says God, sinful. And it's sinful because it denies who our God is, that he is good, that he is uh, generous. It is, isn't it, a, a repeat to live in, not enjoying God's world. It is a repeat of man's first sin in the garden. One commentator uh, says this. I think it's really helpful to think about. He says this. The nerve Satan touched in Eden was to make even paradise appear an insult. The nerve Satan touched in, in Eden was to make even paradise appear an insult. Adam dared to believe that, that God had somehow withheld something good uh, from him. And so Adam and Eve, he, they, they took the fruit. And in so doing, uh, they, they hoped to gain for themselves. There is a way, isn't it, of looking at the world that feels constantly slighted by God. It's a, a greenhouse uh, for bitter uh, roots that flourish. Whatever my circumstances, I, I just want things to be different. I just want more. I, I don't like the way things are. And then there's another way to see the world. The way our eyes and our hearts uh, were meant to see. The views God's goodness gifted to us and causes us to live in daily wonder at his gracious provision. And one day, the, the extent to which we've embraced God's good gift in life, well, that'll be held to account. Let me say to you this morning, we must aim for joy in this life. If we think we can just get by by dutifully obeying God without enjoying him, oh, friends, we are foolish. We will end up like Pharisees, begrudging God's demands on us. And maybe this morning, for me and for you, we need to start small. If we don't, it's true, isn't it? If we don't find joy in the small things in life, we are very, very unlikely to find joy in the big things in life. The child who has the toy and he's never thankful uh, for the, the small toy, always wants the, the, the next model, the next thing. We can all be like that, can't we? Ungrateful for what we've got. When we're not grateful for the little things in life, we are just one step away for not being grateful for anything. You stop loving, you stop laughing, stop savouring and delighting in the small gifts of life and the door to complaining about any and everything, it'll just swing wide open. A grumpiness, a complaining spirit, it's a sin that it's so easy to tolerate. Oh, my life isn't exactly to my liking, and so I'll indulge in moaning. My kids play up. Oh, my, my wife hasn't done what I asked her to do in just the way I wanted it done. And my pleasure evaporates. And I wonder, why is this world such an annoying place? Verse 10, remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. They are a mist you cannot control and that is evaporating. Friends, in recalibrating our joy, we need to start here, don't we? Start with our hearts. And it is urgent. We need to start now. However old we are, we need to start today. We are all building our, for ourselves right now either a prison or a palace for our old age. The preacher's realism here about old age and death, it fuels his command to rejoice Here's the second thing that the preacher wants us to see more briefly. 
He wants us to see the calm realism of remembering that life is for living. The calm realism of remembering that life is for living. Yeah, that famous, or those famous words from the beginning of, of, of chapter 12. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in him. To the young, and remember that is to you and to me this morning, all of us, uh, the preacher says, not remember your God. Specifically, he says, remember your creator. Grasping what it means to be uh, created, that is the fountain of a life lived well. Uh, understanding that we are, we are creatures who have a creator, that orients us and our understanding on who God is or who we are and how life is to be lived. Remembering your creator, it means remembering God created this world good. Perfect. God saw all that he had made and behold it was good. That evil has only entered the world through man's rebellion. Remembering our creator, it means taking my place in the world with gratitude. Striving to work for God's glory rather than demanding uh, more than is my right. It is true, isn't it, that if grumpiness grows from ingratitude, if we're, if we're ungrateful, we will be grumpy. If that's true, it is also true that anxiety grows from idolatry. You get rid of your creator. You become the master of your own destiny. I'm in charge. And now I need to control everything in life. I wonder whether it's any wonder why we're overrun as a society with anxiety. Thinking there is no God. Oh, we need to control everything. Oh, anxiety. That's the foolish response to the fact that life is brief. Frustration because I can't manipulate the world as I want. Uh, discovering I'm not the creator, I'm just a, a, a creation. Remember your creator. Recall how life is meant to be. Recall how life will one day be by the plan and the purpose of God. And seek to live in the light of that reality before the reality of this fallen world catches up on you, sweeping you into the inevitable decline of old age. Forgetting our creator is to live as though the fall has removed all goodness, all beauty from the world. Forgetting our creator is to forget who God is, who we are, and how we should therefore live before the curtain of life closes. In this passage before us this morning, it is filled, the whole passage, with creation language. There are echoes here of Genesis chapter 1, God speaking light out of darkness. But it's also true that as we come to chapter 12, that same creation language is used to speak of creation's reversal. Look at verse 2. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened. Here's the unmaking of creation as part of God's good order. As God made every person, so death, uh, in death, every person is unmade. Uh, the imagery in this passage, it describes the desolation of old age, not just our faculties, our senses fading. So too do the glow of our relationships, our long-held dreams. Age steals them away. 
again, uh, Derek Kidner, one commentator says, in our early years uh, and through so much of life, troubles, illness, they just seem like setbacks that we come back from. We expect the skies, don't we, in, in, uh, in our young years, a, a broken leg, a, a painful stomach. We expect the, the skies to again turn blue and the, scow, uh, the clouds to disappear. How hard it is to, to close that chapter of life and to begin that final stretch where there will be no improvements, uh, where each pain, each ache is there to stay and clouds gather more and more. Time when, uh, time when time will no longer heal, but only hurt us, and eventually will bring us death. This morning, we need to grasp we will all be unmade. Just picture, says the, the, the preacher, the unmaking of uh, that the, the, this demise into old age brings. Picture it in terms of a grand old house, a glorious palace that has now fallen into ruin. That's what's going on in these uh, words in verses 3 to, to, to 5 of chapter 11. Our hands, they're the keepers of the house, once strong, and, and now they tremble and they totter. Uh, legs that, that are the strong men bending, no longer able even to, to support the weight of our own bodies. The teeth are grinders, worn down through years of chewing and now failing and falling out one by one. Uh, failing eyes, failing ears, windows and doors dimmed and shut until we struggle to eat and to speak and to hear and see. We do not die wholly a death. You tumble when you're seven and you pick yourself back up straight away. Tumble when you're 70 and it may be fatal. So that eventually not only our bodies but even our, our desire for life itself begins to fail. But the preacher wants us to grasp. He wants us to see that the old age, it's not just depressing in itself. And we need to be honest, he, as honest as the preacher, the realities of old age, they are hard to face, aren't they? But the preacher wants us to grasp the, the sadness of this devastating decline from what was once so glorious in youth, the vibrancy of young life uh, to, to, to the shell of old age. Our struggle as our outer self wastes away, a pointed reminder of our decay, assured that one day death will arrive. Verse 6, man goes to his eternal home and the mourners go out about the streets. The silver cord is snapped, the golden bowl is broken, the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, the wheel broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, a, an uncontrollable, evaporating mist, all is vanity. Life in our body, just like water in a vase or, or like light in a lamp, when the vessel breaks, falls to the ground, whatever it is inside it just seeps away. And before that decline, difficult, troubling decline, in our bodies, in our minds. All of us are, in our younger years, building a house in which we will live when we're old. Are we making it this morning a prison or a palace? The sin that seems so trifling to you now, 
that will weigh heavy on your conscience as life ebbs away. Unthankfulness now uh, in our heart, bitterness in our heart, that will flower onto, into unbroken bitterness in old age. Whether you count your years in single digits, in, you're in your 20s, 30s, your teens, your 50s, your 70s. A day is coming when God's curse on creation in response to man's sin will see you, will see me unmade. In closing, we need to grasp this. The preacher, believe it or not, he doesn't want to send us home depressed this morning. Not at all. I have failed this morning if you go home and you think it's all doom and gloom. No, no, the preacher is seeking to, to gently take us by the hand and to say to us, before that day that is coming, how are you going to live? How are you going to live today? How are you going to live tomorrow, this week? Life, says the preacher, in youth, while you can, while you're able, is for living. Just take another breath and be filled with thankfulness. Rejoice, young or old, this morning. Only the Lord Jesus Christ can uh, make your life truly good, truly joyful, truly beautiful. He is life. He is jo joy. T to have a, a, a peaceful and a blessed end to life, we must walk through life holding Christ's hand now. He came, he says, that you might have life and might have it abundantly have it abundantly, even now, in a realm of mist and vapour. He came to lay down his life that our blind eyes might be open to the life which grows brighter every day, even to its close. He came to give us life, where those tokens of death, uh, the uh, approach uh, as we get to the end of our life, they're just like the, the, the land birds overhead to inform us that we're reaching our desired haven. Came to give us a life whose end is but the touching of a weather-beaten keel on the shores of glory. Oh, may we find our life, our joy in Christ, delighting in the gift of life that he has given.